came, instead of sitting by the door, his companions, he yelled at them, he screamed, Dr. Goldstein, and the year in order to speak and what you shall use in order to hear for indeed it is a form of enlightenment that does not take its partner astray and it does not separate him from Allah today my dear brothers and sisters when we turn on the television screens, are we tuned into any news agency? Are we pick up a simple paper to read? We find that the entire world is suffering from extremism. We find that extremism is now spread throughout the entire globe and no one is immune to it. So we come to the Holy Quran. We come to the Holy Quran because indeed according to Amir al-Mu'mineen says You shall gain vision with the Quran. It does not mean if I carry the Quran I don't need glasses anymore. No, that's not what it means. And means with the Quran, I see that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants me to see. It gives me a vision. With the Quran, we evaluate that which we hear. And more importantly, Amir al-Mu'mineen in, in the very last passage of this beautiful sermon says, وَلَا يَخْتَلِفُ and he does not take the Qur'an, does not take its partner away from Allah. So when we come to the Qur'an, it takes us to Allah, it takes us to God, and God does not stand for violence. God does not stand for extremism. God does not stand for murder. God does not stand for wars and bloodshed. And of course, you find in every religion, every faith, there is always going to be a group of individuals that will take the teachings of this faith and exploit its teachings. They'll hijack the scripture of that faith and translate that into violence into extremism and into different forms of fundamentalism. And there's always going to be a small minority, not just now, throughout the history of every faith, a small minority of individuals 
who will be looked down upon by the majority of the adherers of that faith as extremists, as people who do not represent the true essence and the spirit of that particular faith. <coughs> extremists, for example, have destroyed hospitals. They have killed doctors and nurses in abortion clinics. They have shot down worshippers in mosques. They have vandalized synagogues, burned down churches, beheaded innocent civilians, invaded countries, waged wars. Even though the majority of the citizens of the earth are not extremists, but every citizen of the earth today is subject to extremism, is in danger of extremism. One day Buhlul, he was sitting and he had a, a golden brick in his hand. So he was throwing this golden brick up and down, up and down, playing with the golden brick. Someone, he noticed, Buhlul has a huge brick of gold. And he was a simple guy, so he said, let me go and try to get this brick from him. So he went, he says to him, Buhlul, what are you doing with this golden brick? Said, no, I'm playing with it. He says, you should give it to me. I have a lot of better plans than just playing with it. So he says, okay, I don't mind giving it to you. What are you willing to do for it? He said, anything, anything you say. So he said, okay, why don't you ten times make donkey noise? So the guy said, well, nobody's looking, it's okay. He started making donkey noise, ten times. And Mohanul kept it, louder, louder, please. And he kept going louder. After the ten times were over, Mohanul said, okay, stage two, you have to shout donkey noise. So he said, it's okay. If people think I'm crazy now, when I have that gold, Nobody's going to think I'm crazy anymore. I'd have money. It's okay. So he started shouting donkey noise. When he was done, Bohlul said, Okay, stage three. I take you to the market. In front of everyone, when they gather, you have to shout donkey noise. The person went with him. Bohlul took him in the middle of the market and he said, Go ahead. And the man started shouting ten times, donkey, you know, everybody's looking at this guy, what is he doing? When he finished, he said, Bohlul, give me the brick. Bohlul said, I'm not going to give it to you. He said, why? He said, because you're an idiot. Because you don't deserve it. He said, why? He said, because you're willing to do anything, become less than an animal, make the noise of the most... A disrespected animal for the sake of this money. So I'm sure even playing with it would be, would, would be playing with it by me would be putting in better use than you. Today, what is the problem of extremism? The problem of extremism and money is money in the hands of such people. Gold in the hand of such people. Petroleum money in the hand of such people. Billions of dollars in the hands of such people. And they have used it to exploit faith, to use God's name for their own political agendas. Now when we come to extremism or fundamentalism, there isn't any faith today 
that's subject to criticism like the religion of Islam. It's extremely criticized. They always tell you, you Muslims are the ones that are attracting Daesh and Qaeda and Taliban and Lashkar Sahaba and all those extremists. How come Islam is denied to all those people? How come you don't find every day there is another group of terrorists? So is Islam the only faith that has extremists? Number one. Number two, how are extremists made? Who makes extremists? For what purpose are they made? And number three, how do we take the teachings? Number three, what is the difference between a mental state of extremism and a physical state of extremism? And number four, how does the school of Ahlul Bayt teach us to stand against extremism? Number one, is Islam the only faith that has people who become fanatics or extremists? Or no, other faiths also have extremists and fanatics. You see, we believe that no religion, if it is connected to God, will teach you violence. No religion, if it is connected to the divine messages of God, will teach you that killing innocent people is allowed. Invading countries is okay. Killing any human being is permitted. Let alone seeking nearness to God by killing people. Let alone seeing killing of others and violence and bloodshed as an act of worship. But, like I said, there are always going to be groups and minorities of individuals who will exploit the teachings of faith. For example, within the Jewish faith, we cannot say that all Jews are extremists, they're all violent, no. There are Jews who have dedicated their lives for peace, to fight poverty, to stand against violence, to stand against killing of innocent people. But also, don't tell me that all Jews are civilized and there aren't any extremist Jews. No, there are. The state of Israel, if not every day, every other day, engages in an act of violence against the poor Palestinians. Killing of kids, innocent people, bombing of schools, not only that, but within it, the state of Israel recognizes people or groups who have been condemned by the state of Israel as terrorists or as extremists. What do I mean? I mean, for example, a group by the name of Kingdom of God was labeled as extremists by the state of Israel after they killed the Palestinian mayor. Another group um, known as the Brit Hakanum was the group that until today, ex until today, it emphasizes that the Jewish law 
should be practiced in the state of Israel and they want to implement the Jewish law in its very severe and extreme ways. The Gush Amanum is another group that was responsible for the murder of a minister, an Israeli minister. Um, Dr. Goldstein in the year 1994 was responsible for the killing of over 20 people and he injured more than 120 people all in, the, in an act of violence, in an act of extremism in the name of the Jewish faith. When we come to the Christianity, it's the same thing. Hitler was a Catholic and he was baptized at birth and he was once again baptized at the age of 15. We're not saying that he adhered to the Christian ideology, but he was a non-Christian. He was a Catholic. The, the covenant, the sword, the group known as the covenant sword and the army of the Lord. They're the ISIS of the Christians, the Daesh of the Christians. The covenant, the sword, and the army of the Lord. Who motivated people like McVeigh to detonate the Oklahoma bombings. The KKK are another group of terrorists, extremists, who for so long operated in the United States in the name of the cross and Jesus and the church. The Shatila mass murder that was recognized by the United Nations General Assembly was done and carried out by people in the name of Christianity. Hindus likewise, in the year 2007, in Indonesia, the bombing of the Mecca Mosque, in the year 2008, the bombings of the Sufi Dargah, and even Buddhists. Everybody thinks every Buddhist is peaceful. Go read about the 969 movement of the Buddhists. Killing Muslims like flies. Torturing them. Abusing them. But this does not mean that the religion of Christianity stands for extremism. The Jewish faith stands for extremism. The Hindu faith stands for extremism. The Buddhist faith stands for extremism. We understand <coughs> that the majority of those individuals within those faiths, the majority of the adherents of those faiths, do not belong to extremism. But we also find that within them there are groups who will promote the extremist mindset. Now, how are extremists made? Why are they made? Extremists are made for the following three reasons. Number one, they are made by the enemies of that entity, by the enemies of that personality, by the enemies of that group, to defame that group, to defame that faith, to defame that personality. So they hire individuals, they tell them to become extremists in the name of that religion, in the name of that school of thought, 
and the name of that particular entity and the name of that personality so that it would defame that school of thought, it would defame that religion, it would defame that personality. And we have witnessed that throughout history. Especially, this was used by Bani Umayyah. It was a very famous tactic of Bani Umayyah. Before every battle, Bani Umayyah would spread rumors about Rasulullah and his companions. And those rumors enticed people to go and fight Muhammad. It created this hate in the heart of people against Rasulullah. So they began to create many stereotypes. They began to create many stereotypes that he was Majnoon, he was insane, that he was a magician, that he was a violent person. And you think that this was done by the enemies and now it's over. But until today, when you read some of the Muslim books, you find that they tell you Rasulullah for a while was inflicted by magic. So when he read the Quran during Salah, he messed up. He was reading something because some lady put magic on him, put a spell on him. So he was reading the Quran and mentioning the name of the idols. This is in the books of the Muslims. They also tell you that Rasulullah, for example, was a man who disrespected his companions. He yelled at them, he screamed at them, he even cursed them. And this still exists in the book of the Muslims, the books of the Muslims. Pens which were hired to defame Rasulullah, to bring the status of Rasulullah down to a point where you find within Sahih al-Bukhari the volume that speaks of Salat, Salat al-Eid, Takbirat Salat al-Eid. I'm giving you exact reference, the very first hadith. It says that Rasulullah came after Salat al-Eid into his home and he saw two belly dancers. Dancing. Dancing and singing in the chamber of Aisha, so Rasulullah, he sat down and he started watching them. He started watching them, and then Abu Bakr came and he said, The singers, the tools of shaitan in the house of Rasulullah, what is this? And he was very upset, so Aisha, they, oh, oh, no, no, no. And then Rasulullah said, yeah, it's okay. Leave them. Let's have a good time. Defaming Rasulullah to this extent. So, we find that defaming of Islam was always present. Defaming of Rasulullah was always present. It's not something new. Also, the defamation of character of Amir al-Mu'mineen. You see, today, if you just mention the name of Ali ibn Abi Talib, and you know that this person existed once upon a time in history is a miracle within itself. Why? Because imagine whoever's name was Ali, they killed him. For a while, Bani Umayyah and Bani Al-Abbas, whoever would name his son Ali ibn Ali, 
they would, he would be killed. For 90 years, almost 90 years, Ali was cursed from the pulpits of Bani Umayyad throughout the entire Muslim world. Every Muslim, a member you go to in the Muslim world, you find after the Friday sermon, before he is done, he curses Ali ibn Abi Talib. And sometimes they add up Hassan al Hussein. And sometimes they add Fatima al Zahra. This is the side of history. They say one day a man came into the presence of Muawiyah ibn Abi Sufyan as he was the Khalifa. And he came, instead of sitting by the door or instead of introducing himself, he came and he sat right next to Muawiyah. So Muawiyah said to him, who are you? You think you can just come and sit next to me without seeking permission? So he said to him, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, Yes, I have a good virtue. You will like this. So he says, Hatiha wa illa nadharabtu What is your virtue? He said to him, Ma sa'abtu min baran illa wa la'antu fihi aliyan wal hasan wal husayn wa fatama. I did not go on a minbar and I did not speak unless I cursed Ali, Fatima, Hassan, and Hussein. What did he tell him? Indeed, it's a good virtue. This was Islam. So today, when you just know the fact that Ali existed, there was a man by this name, and itself is a miracle. So many people were killed. So many people were beheaded. So that the name of Ali ibn Abi Talib would prevail, or would stand in defense. And for a very long time, Bani Umayyah and the enemies of Islam hired people to do this job. They hired individuals to fabricate hadith and insert those hadiths in the book of the Muslims. How come one of the companions of Rasulullah who has not spent even three years, less than two, less than three years with Rasulullah, have the most amount of hadith in the books of the Muslims. One of our ulama says, if you were to divide the entire period of his presence with Rasulullah on the minute, he would have to have heard, I don't know, like five hadiths every second and dispensed ten hadiths every... Even when it comes to time, this person didn't have time to create so much hadith. Yet he's the most popular person in the books of the Muslims. And when it comes to Ali ibn Abi Talib, he has one-tenth of the hadiths of this man. When it comes to all the wives of Rasulullah put together, they don't become one-third of the hadiths of this man. Fabrications, lines. Some of them are... Wallah, you put them in front of a child, he'll laugh at you. I'll tell you one of them, for example. The protectors of faith are three. This is Rasulullah. Ana wa Jibra'il wa Muawiyah. I, Rasulullah says, I. I'm the protector of faith. Jibra'il is the protector of faith and Muawiyah. This Muawiyah.
So many entities were hired throughout time to write and defame the religion of Islam and the madhab of Ahl bayt to an amount that when Amir al-Mu'mineen was struck in Kufa by Ibn Muljam in the time of Salah and the news read Sham, they said Ali was praying. Ali prays. <coughs> and until today, until today, there are entities who hire individuals so that they would kill and they would murder and they would behead and they would spread terrorism and the name of Islam to defend the religion of Islam. And this is a fact. If you look at any terrorist group in the world today, you find that the superpowers are behind them. Once upon a time, they gave them money. If not, then their allies are involved. Saddam Hussein, Osama all those individuals. So what is this? What does this leave us with? We as individuals. Does this leave us as individuals that will sit and complain and say, no, this is a big tragedy? Or do we have a responsibility to take charge to enhance the reputation of Islam? You see, brothers and sisters, you all live in a country with a majority of non-Muslims. And you have neighbors. Every one of you has neighbors. Don't tell me you don't have neighbors. When it comes to time of Christmas, when it comes to the time of New Year's, give them gifts. If it is time for you to speak of the religion of Islam, tell them that we are against ISIS. We are against Taliban. We are against Daesh. We are against those groups. Don't expect them to know. Don't expect them to be geniuses and have read about 10,000 books about Islam to find out whether you as an average Muslim would support extremism or not. With your akhlaq, with your mannerism, make sure you win them. And this is what Rasulullah did. You attracted them with your akhlaq. You attracted them with your principles. You attracted them with your mannerism. Rasulullah would see others hurt him, throw rocks at him, dump garbage on him. But Rasulullah would be quiet, remain patient. Not that he couldn't defend himself, not that he was a coward. No. Rasulullah realized that I have to endure the patience, be steadfast for a greater cause, for a bigger cause, a cause that was worth what? If, oh my uncle, he tells Abu Talib, they give me the sun in my right and the moon in my left so that I would stop the preaching of the Masjid of Islam. I would not do so. So he was able to endure the hardship. Number three, the reason is the ignorance within those groups. And let's talk about Islam. Some people tell me, 
How come is it that Taliban is Muslims? Qaeda Muslims, Daesh Muslims, this Muslims. I tell them, okay. You have a person who wakes up every morning, he doesn't know how to read and write. He's illiterate. What type of job would he have? Very demeaning job, obviously. Yet he has to pay bills. Yet he has to bring bread to the table. Yet he has to pay for his son's school. Yet he has to pay for tuition. Yet he has to buy clothes. Yet he has to buy shoes. Where is he going to get the money? And every day he wakes up thinking, I hate my life. This is a miserable life that I have. So someone comes and tells him, look, I'll give you money. You buy a house for your kids. Buy a car. Put some allowance money. And then end your miserable life and go to Rasulullah. Go with Rasulullah. Why wouldn't he take it? Which book has he read? He doesn't know how to read. Which book has he read that taught him otherwise? Where has he studied? Did he graduate from Harvard or Yale or Princeton to teach him otherwise? So if we want to stand against extremist groups, if we want to stand against extremism, if we want to eliminate Daesh and Qaeda, build schools in the Middle East. Allow them to escape and exit of their ignorance. Give them jobs. Bring back dignity to them. Nobody's going to do that for you. Don't think somebody's going to wake up one day and say, I'm going to build 100,000 schools in the Middle East. This is your task. Wallah, billah, tillah. We don't need masjids anymore in the Middle East. We need schools. I personally have been to areas in the Middle East and in Asia that they have 50 students in one classroom, from grade 1 to grade 5, all in one class, all in one go. Those kids walk, sometimes barefoot, to go and sit in a classroom. Every five of them have to share one textbook. Sometimes even their parents don't allow them. They have to run away from their parents to go to school. And they get abused by their parents because their parents want them to work in the farm or the delis. Are we not aware? I personally, three years ago, went to Pakistan for lectures and to visit the... I saw ruler areas. He could build a school with $30,000. Give life to those kids. That's how we can end extremism. So that this child is able to think when he becomes an adult, make better decisions. Why do I have to kill myself? Why do I have to give my life away, this sacred, noble life that Allah has given me? When I can stand against the enemies of Islam with my pen, with my, with my intellect, with my words. That is why Islam emphasizes midadul ulama afwalu min The pen and the ink of the scholars is greater than the blood of the martyrs. Why? Because the scholars are the one that give awareness. Of course, godly scholars. Not scholars that take them astray, take them to shaitan. No, godly scholars. I 
personally have been to places in Iraq, you open a house, it's not a house, it's a room in the middle of somewhere called Tajawuz. Those who have been to Iraq, they know. People who were kicked out of their homes or they don't have homes or they're homeless, they come and they put bricks on top of one another, then they go and they live there. Seven kids. They don't have a bathroom in there. They don't have food. They don't have running water. They don't have gas. They don't have a roof. They don't go to school. They don't have shoes. And after we visited them to take them to the orphanage, their mother was saying, we don't want anything from you, just bread. We just want bread to eat. You expect that in such circumstance there isn't going to be violence? There isn't going to be ignorance? There isn't going to be people that would want to do anything to get themselves out of this misery? So if we think that by a global war on terrorism we're going to end terrorism, no, that's not true. If we as Muslims, as those who go to the Qur'an so that the Qur'an will open our eyes, we go to the Qur'an so the Qur'an can open our mind and our soul, we'll realize that the way to do it is to give them knowledge, to empower them in schools, to get them out of the misery of their poverty. That is why the first thing Amir al-Mu'mineen did when he became the Khalifa is what? He tried to eliminate poverty. He said, I will never take the Khilafah unless turaddu al-amwal وَإِنْ زُوِّجَتْ بِهَا النِّسَاءُ وَاشْتُرِيَتْ بِهَا الْإِمَامُ You have to return all the money that's stolen, even if you bought slaves with them, and you married a woman with them. Bring them back. And he was the one personally handing over money. He was the one personally creating that justice between them. He gave himself the Khalifa. His servant Qambar, as brother Aqil, the same amount. The Khalifa, his servant Qambar, his brother Aqil, the same amount. Go find me one person in history that has done that. Such justice, such equality. It is not surprising that Kofi Annan, the secretary of the General Assembly of the United Nations, not a Shi'i Marja or a Shi'i scholar, says Ali ibn Abi Talib is the fairest governor in human history. They probably also say that Kofi Annan is Shi'i, but we just don't know. Kofi Annan. Ali ibn Abi Talib is the fairest governor in human history. Why? Because when he saw the Christian begging, he wept for him. He said, Ma hada? He said, Ya Amir al-Mumineen, inna murajul Nasrani. He said, I didn't ask you, what is he? I didn't ask for his religion. I didn't ask for his identity. I said, Ma hada? What is this? Why is there a person begging? When Aqil came to him, he said to him, you give me the same amount that you give everyone else, give me a little more. What did Amir al-Mu'mineen do? He put his sword in the fire. 
He told them, Aqil, take. Aqil could not see, so he brought his hand towards the sword of Ali ibn Abi Talib that was heated, that was burning. As soon as he touched it, he said, Ah! What did the Prophet say to him? أَتَأَنُّ مِنْ نَارًا هَيَّأَهَا الْمَخْلُوقُ لِلَعْبِهِ وَتَبْعَثُنِي إِلَى نَارًا you want me to give you your whining of that fire that I made to keep myself warm, but you want to send me to that fire that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created as a punishment. We also find that at many times, when the followers of Ahlul Bayt are subject to criticism, they are defamed. And let's be honest, many times they cuss, they use bad language, they defame you, they call you all sorts of names. What is the responsibility of the father of Ahlul Bayt? Is it to do the same thing? Is it to scoop down to this level? No. You see, they came to Amir al-Mumin and they said, do the same things that Muhammad does. Use tricks. Become like him. Basically, they were telling him, become smart. You're, you're just not smart enough for this. What did Imam Ali say to them? He said to them, it is not aql, bal innaha shaytana. It is what shaytan would do. And I would never do that. If wasn't for taqwa that stopped me, then I would be the wisest, the smartest, the sneakiest of all Arabs. But it's taqwa. It's taqwa that restrains me. It's taqwa that disciplines me. And it is forbidden for a follower of Ahlul Bayt to use such tactics. Yes, it is. Because if you look at the companions of our Imams, Hisham ibn al-Hakam, Zurara ibn Ayyub, Salman al-Farisi, Salman al-Muhammadi, Ammar ibn Yasir, all those scholars that surrounded our Imams, they used logic. They empowered their tongues with the Qur'an. They empowered their minds with the Qur'an. They were able to dispense knowledge and wisdom. They never used foul language. They never used tactics that were used to defame others. And that's exactly what the companions of Imam Hussein did. They were known for their piety. They were known for their taqwa. They were known for their closeness and nearness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.